We've been going through a mini-series that I've called Social Justice Proper. Uh, I start you off just kind of telling you about uh, my journey into social justice on behalf of Jesus, trying to figure out uh, um, how to uh, kind of be an activist on his behalf to bring the kingdom of heaven in those ways. Last week was a message that I've spent uh, a good year trying to figure out how to articulate. I hope I did it okay last week. Uh, if you'd like to hear that and you missed it, you can catch it on our podcast. Just type in 12-Weight Podcast wherever you uh, listen to your podcast. Um, but it was more or less just saying, like, when the world tries to do social justice, here's some of the things that are not very Jesus-y in the way that I see them doing it. And just a reminder to us that if we want to do social justice the way that God calls us to it, then God kind of needs to be at the head. Uh, today, I'm going to take us a little deeper into that and a message I'm calling the Clash of Kingdoms, because we are a part of the kingdom of heaven. And a lot of times when we hear that in church or read it in our Bibles, or we just uh, try to process what heaven's like, for a lot of people, heaven is like this kind of otherworldly place up on the clouds with mansions and streets of gold and and all this kind of stuff, and we're walking around all shiny and bright and, and all these kinds of things, right? Like that's, that's kind of the idea that when you hear about heaven, that's maybe something that goes through your mind. Uh, but Jesus, when he's talking about heaven, while that is kind of a sense of heaven, that is a spiritual world, uh, Jesus, when he talks about heaven, he's talking about it here and now in physical kinds of ways. So when Jesus walks around and talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, which are the same thing, just two different titles for the same thing. Jesus is not talking about like a place we go to when we die. Sometimes he is, but usually he's talking about a kingdom that's coming that is here, that is right now. So think of kingdoms in the way that you think of kingdoms, right? Kingdoms are uh, they have certain things to them. They, They have leaders, for example, Kingdoms have leaders. In the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is the leader. He's the king there. He's in charge there. Jesus, who is God in flesh, has taken reign in the kingdom of heaven. And uh, he also, the Bible tells us, he extends some of that reign to Christians, that they would reign with him, that they would make decisions with him. So when you're thinking kingdom of heaven, be thinking some of these more tangible kind of ideas. When we think of kingdoms, we also think of citizens. Kingdoms have citizens. The kingdom of heaven has citizens. They're called holy ones. Holy ones in the Bible is used to refer to angels, our spiritual beings that follow God. Holy ones in the Bible is also used to refer to Christians, to human beings who follow God. So the citizens of the kingdom of heaven are both spiritual and physical people who image God and live for him. Kingdoms have leaders. They have citizens. They also have politics. And for me, this is always uh, most clearly seen for me like in, in the Beatitudes. If you were to go and read the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, things like this, Jesus gets up and he starts preaching like this is the way that we should live. This is the way that we should treat people around us. These are the kinds of ways in which the people who follow me They should be identified by doing these kinds of things. Instead of blessed are the rich, no, blessed are the poor in spirit. Instead of blessed are those who go out and try to aggressively take land, no, blessed are the meek who go and receive land meekly. Kingdoms have leaders, citizens, politics, 
Heaven has these similar things. Kingdoms have allegiance. This might surprise you, but if you were to read through 1 Peter 3, 14-22, you'd actually see that baptism is phrased in a way that it is allegiance. It is pledging allegiance to God and not to other spiritual entities. So you're turning away from all the other spirits out there. and Instead, you're pledging your allegiance to God. We don't have time to get into how you see that in 1 Peter 3. You can go read it later. I can send you an article. But kingdoms have allegiance. And Jesus calls us to allegiance to heaven. Kingdoms have mission. We already saw this. Jesus quotes Isaiah 61 as his mission to bring good news to the poor. Uh, he's sent, uh, Jesus has been sent to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is a part of Jesus' mission. And since it's a part of his mission as king of heaven, it's a part of our mission as citizens of heaven as well. Kingdoms expand. They keep trying to move out and grow. This is evangelism in the kingdom of heaven. When you evangelize to someone who doesn't know Jesus and they accept Jesus, you have just one ground for the kingdom of heaven. The citizenship to whatever allegiance it had before has been broken down. And now it's been turned over to God. They have immigrated in to Christianity. They have come to the kingdom of heaven. Evangelism is kingdom expansion. Kingdoms defeat enemies. And you see throughout the Bible that that Jesus has these other spiritual powers that he's up against, including Satan. And Satan in the Bible is no little deal. He's actually quite powerfully viewed in the Bible. He's no little deal. The Bible actually calls him in 2 Corinthians 4.4. This weirds us out a little bit. 2 Corinthians 4.4 calls Satan the God of this world. Little g, God of this world. Now, you actually could read that passage to say that it's referring to Yahweh as God of the world. But I think if you look at a lot of the scholarly research out there about the linguistics of what's being said, Paul's actually calling Satan the God of this world as we currently have it. He's ruling over as a spiritual entity. And, and that lines up with other things the Bible says too, right? When Jesus is being tempted, Satan's like, look, I have control over all the kingdoms of the world. Do you want it? If you want it, follow me and I'll give it to you. So Satan has power and he's not the only leader in, in hell, in the realm of darkness. The Bible paints a picture in which there are many different principalities and powers and many different kinds of spiritual rebellions that consist of this dark world. Satan, however, since he's kind of like the first deceiver, everything gets pinned on him as like the ultimate bad guy. We don't know who the other powers necessarily are, but we do know that they're all in allegiance with one another. Because Jesus says like the demons know that if they turn against one another, their kingdom fails. So they're all united under the same kind of ideas that make up Satan. Let me turn the heat on one second. One day we will put this thermostat somewhere else. One day. I've said that for eight years now. In many senses, it's not just spiritual powers that are against God, though. It's also physical powers, human powers. Today, we talk about what we call separation of church and state, right? As to if that's real or a myth, I don't know. Things get really confusing sometimes. But throughout history, there was no separation of church and state. 
politics were religion. Just think of like Pharaoh in Egypt, right? Pharaoh was not just supposed to be some guy. Pharaoh considered himself a god. So if you were in Pharaoh's domain, you were under him as like a spiritual and physical authority. Caesar was looked at in many ways as a god. You see throughout old ancient times that uh, to be in charge was to take part in this spiritual realm. So human powers were just polluted with the same kind of spiritual powers that were out there. The Bible, when it pictures spiritual and human powers, they're kind of, in many ways, viewed as the same kind of thing because there's too much overlap between how they work. From a biblical perspective, here's the thing. You always fall under some kind of power. I know there's a lot of atheist movement today that wants to be like, I am free and I make my own decisions and nothing else affects me. But from a biblical perspective, if you would believe in the Bible, from a biblical perspective, you are either of God's community or you have joined all these other communities that make up the kingdom of hell. And humans are granted the ability to decide which kingdom they want to be a part of. Part of what God's doing, the one true God who made all the heavens, all the earth, all the spiritual beings, all the physical beings. Or to decide to choose allegiance to something lesser that cannot be uh, the same because God's made these beings. Now they've turned against him and you can choose to be on their side. But by biblical definition, to be alive is to be a part of spiritual warfare. You're allotted somewhere in a spiritual realm. So you can choose God or you can automatically be placed with something else. So with all this being said, uh, here we are as Christians trying to live out the kingdom of heaven here on this planet, right? How do we do that well? How do we know when we're following God instead of following something else? I want to give you just three simple basic ideas to run everything through that you go through. So when you are like experiencing something and you're wondering if it's a movement of God or a movement of something else, these will help you understand if what you're looking at is heaven-minded, heaven-based, okay? How to discern if you're following heaven. Number one, very straightforward. Is God leading that kingdom? Our concern last week, if you were here, was that there are other kingdoms out there with other kind of entities, whether it be human or spiritual, leading them. But Christians obey only one entity. Christians are sold out to only one movement. And so the very first thing you got to figure out before you sell out to something is, is this God or is it something else? It's the very first commandment out of the Ten Commandments, right? It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. It starts that way. I am the Lord your God. I wonder if that's like actually like the 11th commandment, like the first one. Uh, Commandment number one, I am the Lord your God, (laughs) right? But then he continues to specify, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I am the Lord your God 
and I am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This being said, there are no other spiritual beings you should be communing with. Because to do that is to choose allegiance to something else. The one spiritual being you get to claim uh, you know, that you're working with, that you're listening to, is the Holy Spirit, who is God speaking to us. The Bible often calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Jesus, who is God among us. So you need to make sure that whatever movement you're a part of, it's based on God and God alone, not something else in a spiritual perspective. Uh, even, even if an angel comes and speaks to you, you still have to be discerning of that. I know that sounds crazy, but that's actually biblical. Paul, at one point to the Galatians, both to the Corinthians and the Galatians, they kept chasing after all these heresies that came their way to the point that Paul's like, what are you doing? (laughs) We preached you the one true gospel. We told you about the one true spirit. We told you about Jesus. And you're letting these other people come along and co-opt your religion with heresy. Oh, here's what Jesus really is. They're asking you to accept other spirits instead of the Holy Spirit. This is not Christianity. So Paul goes so far in Galatians that he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. (laughs) That's strong words. Paul right there is like, look, if I come back and I start preaching to you a different gospel than what I have already preached to you, do not listen to me. Even if a spiritual being who claims to be an angel shows up and preach to you a gospel different from the one we're preaching to you, Do not listen to them. They are deceiving you. That sounds weird to us. Like none of us really run into angels, right? (laughs) If you do, I'd like to hear your story. That'd be interesting. Uh, But we usually don't run into angels. But if we did, we we can't trust them. Well, you got to be discerning like you are with everything. Uh, Job 4.18 actually says that even in God's servants, he puts no trust in his angels. He charges with error. So angels are not perfect beings. They make mistakes. They turn against God. And some of that fallen world that's rebelled against God, Revelation tells us that some of them were once angels. So with that being said, yeah, even angels or things claiming to be angels, you can't necessarily trust. You see this in the New Age movement where people are getting in touch with spirits, whether it be spirits of the dead or just general spirits or angels. None of these things are good. The Bible would talk about this as like betraying God, that it's witchcraft, that it's uh, medium, that it's uh, uh, turning against God and choosing to commune with other beings. That's why witchcraft in the Old Testament was a uh, um, capital offense. It wasn't just because you were practicing magic. It was because you were choosing to be with beings that were not God. And in doing so, you were leaving the kingdom of Israel to go chase after something else. So... The Bible calls us to be discerning about everything that we come in contact with. You have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will speak to you 
on behalf of God, which means you get to talk to God himself. You don't need to go to lesser things. So when you are trying to discern if you're following heaven, very simply, is God leading that kingdom? Is he leading that charge? Is he leading that movement? And if not, then you're at least not walking solely with him, even if you find some overlap with heaven. All right. Um, what else? If you're, if you're going to discern if you're following heaven very easily, you should do this. Is this kingdom loving? Is this movement loving? Is the way in which I am trying to achieve social justice for God, am I doing it in a loving way? That's just a very simple fact about God is that he loves us. In fact, if you go back to those Ten Commandments, the first one might be, you know, I am the Lord your God. But the first five commandments are all about God and the second five commandments are all about people. Love God, love people. That sound familiar? That was Jesus. When they asked Jesus, what's the most uh, important commandment? Jesus was like, well, the first one is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. If you were to look at the whole Ten Commandments, it starts with, I am the Lord your God, and it ends with your neighbor. In other words, Jesus is just like taking the first sentence and the last sentence of the Ten Commandments and condensing it down. Understanding like the middle section, it's all the same. <laughs> like that's, that's just further telling you how to love God and how to love your neighbor. And when Jesus came to us, he showed us just how much God loves us in even more radical ways. He began to teach us like, look, even if someone out there is doing really wicked things, guess what? God still lets it rain on them. They still have crops. You don't look outside like, oh, that house, just no rain over there. (laughs) They must be doing things evil. No, God still loves them even while they're sinning, even while they're being wicked. And he's showing them that love by taking care of them. Why? Because he's a father. He's a loving father. Jesus is like, I want you to see God in this light. Think of him as dad. Now, some of us have had bad dads, and that's hard to relate with. But Jesus wanted us to understand, like, he's a loving father who cares about us. And then Jesus goes the ultimate distance, right? Dying on a cross and saying, I know these people are murdering me. I know they're sinning against me, but... God forgive them. He's still thinking about them while he's bleeding. So with all this being said, Jesus comes to earth and then he just reiterates just how loving God is. So whether something good is going in your life or something bad is going on in your life, your response needs to be love. Because as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, love is the core principle of how you react. In fact, the Bible defines God as love. So if you want to know love, you need to know God. And thirdly, does the kingdom follow godly order? Uh, This took me a long time to learn. And the reason is because everybody loves to talk about the creation story in Genesis. But the focus is always on, well, is it creationism or is it evolution? Which way is this story actually going on? Guys, that's not the debate that the ancient people who wrote Genesis are trying to talk about. If you look at other ancient Near Eastern myths and stories that they told about how gods put things into order, that's, that's like the main thing they're hitting on. Okay, so as people who believe in this God, this is the way that our God ordered the universe. As people who believe in this God, this is the way that 
our God ordered the universe. So when the Hebrews come along and they write the Bible, they're like, we're going to tell you the story about the one true God, the only God who made everything that exists. And this is the way in which he has ordered the universe. And order is wisdom. If you want to be wise, then you obey what you know God has set in place. If you want to live the way that he wants you to live, then you don't go outside of the order in which he's set up. So for us, we look at it and because we're very scientific minded, we're like, okay, so what was the real way God created the world? But the ancients, when they looked at it, they'd be looking for the themes that are being reiterated. They'd realize, hey, uh, some of these other stories talk about a lot of gods working together to make the world. But this story is just one God. There's only one God and he made it all. This story shows that humanity is supposed to echo what God would do. They're made in his image, and so they try to image God to the world. So when they walk somewhere, they should look the way that God would look. They should do what God would do. Humanity also, we recognize like they're the peak of creation. They're put in charge of creation, that God trusts them to take care of everything else that he's made. Humanity is put so much in charge that they have authority over the animals. Why? Well, because they named the animals. In ancient culture, when you named something, you took authority over it. Still true today, right? My son and my daughter didn't choose their names. I chose it for them. And I get to do that. I'm their dad. They don't get to choose their own name. (laughs) And if they did, it would have been Goo Goo Gaga or something like that. You know, like they wouldn't have much to say for a few years. But I choose it, and so I get to choose their name. It's the same thing. God's name is Yahweh, which in Hebrew just means, like, I am who I am. Part of the reason scholars think that God just said, like, I am who I am is because God wasn't going to tell them his name. He didn't want them to have, think that they had power or authority because they knew his name or because they named him in that moment. So God kept that to himself, possibly, is one suggestion. You see other themes. Animals can't meet humanity's need for partnership. And woman was designed for man and woman to come together. God takes a rib out of the man, puts it in the woman. And basically, if you want to be reunited to your lost rib, well, it's over there. Right? And so you need to become one flesh to put that rib back where it belongs. And this is marriage for God. And then once you're married, then you're going to depart from your parents and go start a new family. And when you go start a new family, eventually you're going to be moving further and further out. So all that is Eden, all that is God's presence. You are leaving Eden and starting to take God's presence and image it into the rest of the world until one day the whole world is finished with pe- uh, sorry, filled with people echoing God in every facet, so the world starts to look exactly as God would have it on every inch of it. This is the story that Genesis is telling. And that speaks volumes to a lot of issues today, to a lot of conversations that we get into. Godly order is a huge focus throughout the Bible. Jesus even references Genesis. At one point, someone's like, uh, so can I... Can I uh, Uh, Can people get divorced because Moses told us we could get divorced? Jesus, what's your opinion? And Jesus is like, look at Genesis. Was there divorce in Genesis? In in Genesis 1-2 when God ordered the world? They're like, well, no. Well, that's the way that God made it. So this is outside of God's plan, God's order for the universe. 
Suddenly you see Jesus quoting the original order as something to look up to. Paul talks about order all the time. And if you just pay attention to it, you'll see it pop all over the place. He's always trying to preserve order. But he also understands one day God's going to come back and make the world over. Well, make it new, make it fresh. And uh, when that time comes, he understands like when God makes it new, it's still going to have this order. Why? Because God didn't mess up the first time. We messed up. So when God comes back to put everything right, it's not like, well, I got to do it the old way things happened because I clearly messed this up. No. God is perfect. So whatever that new world is, while it will be different, it will capitalize on the order he originally set. So order becomes a big piece of the New Testament reflecting on the Old Testament. It becomes a focus of all of Genesis, uh, or sorry, the, the beginning of Genesis, and moves throughout the rest of the Bible as well. And that speaks volumes to my life. It speaks volumes to my moral decisions, my political thoughts, how I live at home, the guidance I give to others. And it calls me to pay attention to the way God, thing, God set things up, not the way I set things up. So if you want to do true social justice, if you want to figure out what God is doing and what movement he is a part of, then you have to understand you're looking for the kingdom of heaven. And if you want to easily discern it, three things. Is God leading that kingdom? Is that kingdom loving? And does the kingdom follow godly order? So with these things in mind, let's just kind of pose that for America, the kingdom that we live in from a physical perspective, right? Let's just kind of think through these. Um, Since we as Christians are a part of the, the kingdom of heaven, but we live in the kingdom of America, can we ever expect America to live the way that we want them to live? Can, can we expect ungodly leaders to live godly lives and to do what God would have them do? I think the answer is no, not really. Let's just look through these things, right? Is God leading the kingdom of America? He comes up from time to time, right? Usually to win some points and getting a... a a position somewhere, but neither all politicians nor all citizens of America claim that God is in charge. Therefore, America is not the kingdom of heaven or a movement of heaven, even if God can do things through politics. So why should we expect America to live out the ways of the kingdom of heaven? We can't. I mean, and furthermore, they can't. They can't live it out. The Bible is clear. Like, if you want to live the way that God wanted you to live, thousands of years have proved that humanity cannot do it and that the only way to pull it off is to receive the Holy Spirit. And so a lot of times we're like, this is the way that America needs to live without the Holy Spirit, and without allegiance to God. They look at us like, what are you talking about? This, these are the kind of things we can't understand. Now, that being said, you can still show the world how God would do things if he was in charge. And if they accept that knowledge, that's a bonus. <laughs> but you can't necessarily expect them to listen or to live up to the way that God would have them live up if they don't have the Holy Spirit. Okay, so second question, is America loving? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. 
I mean, human beings are by definition imagers. And since God is love, whether you're Christian or not, you're going to show love from time to time. And so sometimes you're going to see loving things happen in America or from government or from the kingdom. But to expect them to show the full love of God? Well, John tells us that like if we don't know God, then we don't know love. So you won't be able to find the full love of God there. But that being said, you can still show the world how to love as God would love, right? Even though you can't expect them to define love the same. Does America have godly order? All systems naturally have order, but definitions of order vary, right? Some people uh, would say that order in this way, you know, like this is how order should be, and it will completely contrast against the way that God sets things up in Genesis. And as Christians, while we're like, no, God actually ordered things this way. As Christians, we also have to say, but you don't believe in God or Genesis or the Bible, so I can't hold you up to the standards that you don't believe in. And I understand that, like Adam and Eve, who said, I'm going to find wisdom and order in my own way, a lot of humanity without God's going to say, I'm going to do the same. I don't need God for wisdom or order. I'm going to establish it as I would see it. That being said, while you can't expect America to live up to godly order, showing America the way that the world should be ordered is fine. Even if they can't live up to it or aren't interested. So all that being said, here's the question that I had to ask for a long time. Once I came to this understanding like, okay, there is a big difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdoms of this earth. From a physical and spiritual and mental perspective, there's a lot of differences. Occasionally overlap, and I always look for places where I can join people in overlap, especially with social justice things. But I have to understand that we are very different. So as a Christian, do I ever push back against the kingdom of this world? Or do I just stay way over here understanding they'll never be able to live up to what God's calling us to? The answer I've come to, and this is a condensed answer, is that, yes, I do push back when the world is causing injustice to someone else. So if somebody decides to do something that causes injustice on themselves, in my mind, I'm like, they're an adult. They made that decision. That's not God's order, but they're choosing for themselves to pursue something else. And America is giving them that right. Fine. But if something is put in place that gives someone the power to abuse someone else, well, now I need to step in because God is not okay with that kind of injustice. So like if slavery were to come back, That's a call to say, okay, you're not making a free decision just for yourself. You're oppressing someone else to make your decision. And we need to step in on behalf of Christ to do the mission that he called us to, to liberate the captives, take care of the poor. Or something like abortion. We believe that God makes life, so we want to protect life. And so if someone wants to make a decision on their behalf to have an abortion... That's where we step in and we say, well, we actually believe that you're oppressing or hurting someone else when you're making this decision. And this is an injustice that God calls us to stop. Unfortunately, the problem is we're real jerks when we fight about a lot of things. Uh, 
And I think, honestly, a lot of the hardness that people have towards conversations of things like abortion and whatnot is because Christians have just done a horrible job at trying to have that conversation. It's always blaming, shaming, uh, calling people murderers and all these other kinds of things. No one wants to listen to you when you call them a murderer. (laughs) Just going to put that out there. But you know what does speak volumes? When you go to an orphan and you adopt them saying, there are other people out there who don't have children. So as an act of fighting abortion, I'm going to take care of these kids who did get born, but don't have anyone to take care of them. And when people ask me why I adopted, this is a part of my story. I did it for the kingdom of heaven. You can do it by offering to adopt those who would maybe have the abortion. You can prove it by loving those who make the decision to have an abortion. You can prove it by putting ministries in place to take care of babies and take care of those who, are, who have had an abortion. You can do it by loving. So again, do we collide? Yeah, we are two very different kingdoms. And we will have a special collision when we need to step in because injustice has been deemed okay to be done to another person. But otherwise, a lot of times we need to have this understanding that the world's going to put things into place that do not match us and that we can't expect them to live up to our expectations because they are not following the God of those expectations and they do not have that Holy Spirit to empower them to follow that God of expectations. All the while loving them, hoping that they will come to see who Jesus is, how much he loves them, how he died for them, so that they would be won over to expand the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so there's a lot of details there. I know I jumped around a little bit. Uh, Always happy to talk to you later if you have questions or anything. For now, the band's going to come up and we're going to kind of sing a few songs. In about 15 minutes, we're going to get ready to wrap up for uh, Food Bank. You can take on whatever posture you'd like as we worship. We just ask that, would you start, if you're able, by standing with us right now? And then the the prayer team will be in the back corner. If you need prayer for anything, doesn't matter what you're going through tonight, they would love to pray for you and just see uh, God be able to intercede on your behalf.